Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Byte Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. And welcome, everybody, to the Pod's Honest Truth with David Brody. Hope you are well. Uh, look, if you're on Apple or iTunes or Stitcher or any, or any of that, you're hearing just my audio. But we have a video version. That's right. I'm looking right at you. A video version as well of this podcast. We'll explain more why we wanted to do it this way as well this week uh, here on the Pod's Honest Truth. Now, I, I don't have the band. I know we normally talk about the band at the beginning. There's no band, just a living room. Uh, behind me. And by the way, thank you very much. Dressed up today uh, in the living room, normally in the PJs and an undershirt. But look, uh, I believe that's where I say TMI. Um, you know, my biggest concern I will say about doing a podcast on video at home in the living room, a couple things. Number one, uh, the dog. I mean, look, if the dog starts barking, this podcast could go south very, very quickly. And, and I want to apologize for that. But the good news is um, the, the rugs are being steam cleaned. Uh, we're, we're getting, you know, a full detox of this house. Not that it really needed it. Uh, but the truth of the matter is, look, if you're going to do a podcast from home, you better be sparkling Mr. Clean clean, if you know what I'm saying. All right. Look, we're going to talk about Donald Trump and the Bible. And I know liberals are going berserk about, uh, you know, we know about it, right? When he held up the Bible uh, there in front of St. John's Church and, and they're just like, what in the world? It was a photo op. It was ridiculous. They were tear gassing protesters. I don't want to get into all of that specifically as it relates to the tear gassing of protesters because park police will push back on that and say, wait a minute, there was actually some violent protesters and we were clearing it because of curfew and all that. We'll save that for another day. I do want to talk about something that I think I can speak uniquely to, and that is Donald Trump, the Bible, and God. I wrote a book, Narcissistic Alert, hello. I wrote a book called The Faith of Donald Trump, co-authored by Scott Lamb. Uh, I don't know, was it 300 plus pages? I don't know, I should probably read it at some point. Uh, I heard it was good, Um, at least that's what I think. And in the book, we talk a little bit more about uh, how Donald Trump sees church and God and pastors and clergy. And that's the perspective I want to give to you today. So let's get into it. Uh, First of all, before we get into any of that, I want to read you a few quotes by evangelical uh, advisors to this White House who are sticking by the president because of that photo op that we saw the other day when he held the Bible up at St. John's Church. Here's what Johnny Moore said, influential evangelical advisor. I got to put on my glasses. Thank you very much. It kind of ramps my intellect up. Uh, He said uh, this, the president's visit visit was not a photo op. It was in his way an act of solidarity. He was standing for the protection of the right of peaceful protest. And then Tony Perkins from the Family Research Council uh, said this, He said uh, that holding up the Bible at St. John's Church was sending a message that we're not going into hiding and we're not going away. He went on to say that the only thing he thinks the president should have done differently is bring some pastors of different denominations, different uh, racial, ethnic makeups, uh, and have them lead a prayer in front of the church. 
And then Pastor Robert Jeffress, uh, we know about him. He's been kind of like a BFF, kind of like the Thelman Louise, if you will, evangelical-wise of uh, Trump uh, and evangelicals. He's been kind of married at the hip, if you will, with uh, Donald Trump. He said, quote, holding up that Bible is a reminder that God's word denounces both racism and lawlessness. All right, so look, let me explain a few things here, right? Uh, the, the media thinks this is a photo op, but I want to go deeper than that and explain to you a little bit about what I understand from my reporting and interviewing Donald Trump. And by the way, we're going to play a lot of those clips coming up from my interview with Donald Trump. I've interviewed him, uh, I believe it's, well, it's definitely over 20 times. I want to say it's 22 times. We're going to play about five or six of those clips where he talks about the Bible and God. So stay tuned for that. That's part of the reason why we're doing the video podcast, because I want you to see what he actually uh, says. But of course, on audio, on Apple and iTunes and all that, you will hear the audio, obviously, as well. But look, he has a reverence for clergy. Uh, he remembers a time in the 1950s, back when he was growing up. Remember, born in 1946, he's 74 years old. He remembers a time where he had dressed up for church, um, where you prayed in school. Uh, he remembers a time when there was Bible reading in classes. This is Donald Trump's America. This is who, this is what he thinks about when he thinks of the church. And he definitely has a reverence for the church. He also has a, he also loves people that are passionate. And he sees pastors and clergy as people that are passionate for God. And he loves that. He's attracted to that. So you have the reverence of his uh, mindset in the, that 1950s. A mindset, if you will. Once again, I don't want to get into 1950s and racism. We know what was going on back then. That's not what I'm talking about. But I'm specifically referring to the way Donald Trump saw the world back then in terms of a respect for clergy, uh, this idea of going to church and dressing up, you know, coming your Sunday best and, and all of that. And then, of course, a passion for God. He also has a fear of God. And by the way, there's an unhealthy fear, and then there's, of course, a very healthy fear. And I remember talking to him the first time in 2011, and he told me in an interview that he said I would, a lot of people apparently sent him Bibles when, when he was a businessman at Trump Tower, and he said, I would have a fear of doing anything negative to a Bible, is what he said. That was the word. He said, I would have a fear of doing anything ne negative to a Bible. So this is the way Donald Trump sees God and the Bible and all of that. Look, can he recite a couple verses? You know, probably not, okay? But here, here's the point. It's not so much about that, folks, as it is about, number one, he's implementing policies that evangelicals believe in from a biblical standard. Uh, but once again, back to the Bible, when he held that Bible up at the church, it wasn't just a photo op. He was basically saying, law and order, the way America should be, remember the Bible, remember uh, Christianity was important in this country. Remember he always talks about how um, you can now say Christmas again. It's that type of thing. He, he remembers a time in America that wasn't so politically correct that we're living in today. And I want to read you a couple quotes from my book. Once again, The Faith of Donald Trump. Thank you very much. Uh, this is from Daryl Scott, African-American pastor who has knows D D uh, Donald Trump very well. Here's what he said uh, to me in one of my interviews. He said, in the company of the preachers, he, Donald Trump, adopted the position of the lesser, and he actually acknowledged the preachers in the room as the greater. He has an old-fashioned respect for clergy. You don't see that anymore. He's got that 1950s respect 
for clergy. Exactly what I was saying, by the way. And then Mike Huckabee, and remember there was a big um, a big evangelical meeting back in uh, June of 2015, or excuse me, 2016, when all the evangelicals weren't quite sure if they were going to support Trump, but here he was. And uh, so Huckabee was hosting this meeting with Donald Trump. And this is what Mike Huckabee uh, told me about that meeting. He said, quote, if you handed Donald Trump a tabbed Bible, he'd have a hard time finding John 3.16. Uh, then he goes on to say, I just don't think it's a book about which he's deeply familiar. But then he continues on and he says this. He believes, he goes, I believe Donald Trump has a God consciousness about him that's real. And then he goes on to say that for all of Trump's vulgarity and secularist attitudes in life, Trump has a deep abiding respect, not just for God, but for all people who truly follow God. I think he's intrigued by it. I think it's almost something that he just finds amazing and fascinating. He has a real respect for people of faith. And folks, that's the pod's honest truth. I mean, that is accurate. Now, the media is going to tell you a different story. Uh, he's not a Christian. He's anything uh, nowhere near a Christian. Believe me, he's got faults. You know what? Line up at the fault counter because I've got faults. He's got faults. You've got faults. We've all got faults. Uh, and Donald Trump's got some big ones. Uh, last time I checked, he's got a pretty, si a pretty healthy size ego, which needs some work. And maybe uh, pride uh, will throw that in there at the fault counter as well. And a, f and a lot more. But you know what? He who casts the first stone, right? I mean, am I going to do it? Look, I got a few faults. I'd rather not say. I think the living room, by the way, behind me, not a fault, uh, by the way. I think it's a, it's a nice look. Um, but, but look, the truth is, yeah, he's got some faults. Now, I, I want to also say one last thing. When it comes to Donald Trump, did you know that he loves Christian television? Now, I don't mean my interviews at the Christian Broadcasting Network, where I work uh, over there at CBN News. No, I'm talking about uh, the Gaithers. Now, now, the Gaithers are a big, old-time country gospel band. He grew up on the Gaithers. Matter of fact, Paula White, for one of his birthdays, sent him Gaithers tapes. That's right, music, Gaithers tapes. He also used to look, watch a lot of those sermons uh, back in the 70s by many of those television evangelists and preachers. And uh, Billy Graham, uh, I can just, I'm looking at it here. He and his father would watch and listen to Billy Graham's sermons. It was either the Hour of Decision, that was the radio version, or the Billy Graham TV classics uh, him and his father would gather around. So this is kind of the context of Trump that you need to understand. So it's not just that he's going to hold a Bible for a photo op. Look, uh, did, did he want the political benefit of a photo with him holding the Bible at the church? Look, absolutely. I'm not arguing against that. And he knows that a photo holding a, a Bible in front of the church is a much better photo op than the church being burnt to the ground by Antifa and the other crazies. Like, he'll take that photo over the burning of the church any day of the week from a political perspective. Uh, I don't think there's any question about it. So, look, I want to play now some clips of my interviews through the years with Donald Trump. We'll start in 2011. We'll work our way through the campaign and into the presidency where I interviewed him in the Oval Office. Here are a bunch of clips. They run about four and a half, five minutes. I want you to take a look at how he talks about God is the ultimate. He talks about the clergy. He talks about what the Bible means to him. Uh, there's so much going on here that I want you to kind of get a sense of how he views the Bible and God. And look, this just in, folks. This ain't going to be seminary, all right? Uh, Donald Trump is not going to be four paragraphs deep on the Bible, and a lot of people will fault him for it. But you know what? Give me a break. 
This is how he sees the world. This is how he sees God. This is how he sees the Bible. And there is a healthy reverence and respect that he has uh, for uh, preachers, the clergy, God, and the Bible. I'm not saying he's perfect. As a matter of fact, he's nowhere near perfect. But ultimately, I can't judge the heart. You can't judge the heart. And the Lamb's Book of Life is a book that only the Lamb, Jesus Christ, will write and finally decide on Donald Trump. And guess what? He'll also decide, he with a capital H, will also decide on me and you and everybody else. Anyhow, there, I'm off my evangelical soapbox, but I want you to now watch and listen, if you're on Apples and iTunes and all that, some of the um, interviews throughout the years with Donald Trump. Here it is. Talk to me a little bit about how you see God. Well, I believe in God. I am Christian. Uh, I believe very strongly in God. I think that um, the Bible certainly is one of, if not, I mean, it is the book. It is the thing. I was uh, raised, and I gave you a picture just now, and perhaps you'll use that picture. I found it from a long time ago. First Presbyterian Church of Jamaica, Queens. That's where I went to church. I'm a Protestant. I'm a Presbyterian. Do you actively go to church, or is that something that is more just when, when you can? Right. Well, I go as much as I can always on Christmas, always on Easter, mm -hmm. uh, always when there's a major occasion. And during the, during the Sundays, I'm a Sunday church person, I'll go when I can. I understand a lot of people send you Bibles. Is that true? Well, I get sent Bibles by a lot of people. Where yes. are all those Bibles anyhow lot. now? <laughs> well, actually, we, we keep them in a certain place, a very, very nice place. But people send me Bibles. There's no way I would ever do anything to do negative to a Bible. So what we do is we keep all of the Bibles. We just, I would have a fear of, of doing something other than very positive. Tell me a little bit. You mentioned in this speech just now about this note from what? What your note from your mom? The Bible. Yeah, Tell me about you this. You know, I was speaking to the group, and the group is a uh, a group that truly believes in what is in this book. And I, I have my Bible, and I thought I'd bring it. And it was written. This was written by my mother, and it says presented to Donald Trump on his graduation from the primary department by the Sunday Church School of First Presbyterian Church, Jamaica, New York. And it's amazing. And uh, all written out sort of like uh, so that I always know it's mine. But it was special. And I, I open it and I look at that a lot. Actually, it's an incredible book. So many things you can learn from the Bible and you can lead your life. And I'm not just talking in terms of religion. I'm talking in terms of leading a life mm -hmm. even beyond a religion. There's so many brilliant things in the Bible. and. You can read it over, and many people have done this, and they've led their life that way, but you can read it hundreds and hundreds of times. You know, David, they say great art, like the Mona Lisa. Some people, they look at it, and it doesn't look as great at the beginning, and then they'll look at it. By the time they see it many, many times, it becomes the most, they can't take their eyes off it. Mm -hmm. Whereas art that's not great, you look at it, it looks beautiful at the beginning, but you don't, you get tired of it. The Bible is special. The Bible, the more you see it, the more you read it, the more incredible it is and the more you realize. It's like a great, you, you could say, I mean, I don't like to use this analogy, mm -hmm. but like a great movie, a great, incredible movie. Mm -hmm. You'll see it once, it'll be good. You'll see it again. You can see it 20 times and every time you'll appreciate it more. The Bible is the most special thing. Tell me about God. When I say God, tell me about God. What do you, 
who is God to you? What, what, what are some of your thoughts on this? Clearly, you're a smart man, you're a smart businessman. You've contemplated this before, or how, have you contemplated well, it? I'd say God is the ultimate. You know, you look at this, you look at this incredible, here we are in the Pacific Ocean. Mm -hmm. How did I ever own this? I bought it 15 years ago. I made one of the great deals, they say, ever, this piece of land. I have no mortgage on it, as you, right. I will certify and represent to you. We'll see that. And I was able to, you know, buy this and make a great deal. That's what I want to do for the country, make great deals. We have to, we have to bring it back. But God is the ultimate. I mean, God created this. Yeah. And, you know, here's the Pacific Ocean right behind us. So, uh, nobody, no thing, no, there's nothing like God. I am a Christian. I'm a Protestant. I'm a Presbyterian. I'm a total believer. I believe in the Bible. I believe in God. Uh, and I think I will help them so much with this country. You know, it's very interesting. A couple of uh, ministers and pastors and I thought it was accurate, I shouldn't say this too, but I thought it was pretty good. They said, you know, he may not be perfect, but he's absolutely the best leader, and he's absolutely the best guy to take this country out of the morass. Mm. So he is a religious guy, he does believe, he may not be perfect, but in terms of running the country, he's perfect. I will do a great job. And they said, and therefore we support him. Mm. And these were ministers and respected people and pastors. and. I think there's a lot of truth to what they said. Now, it wouldn't be a, an interview between us if I didn't ask a, a God question, if you will. Uh, how, how has that spiritual journey been for you, especially being here and knowing the gravity of the office? Uh, do, do you feel the need to pray more? Uh, how, where are you on that? Well, I tell you what, uh, I've always felt the need to pray. So I would say that uh, the office is so powerful that you need God even more because your decisions are no longer, gee, I'm going to build a building in New York or I'm going to do that. These are, these are questions of massive life and death, even re with regard to health care. You know, we're working very hard on health care. But there you're talking about life and death, and you're talking about better lives, better lives, people living better because they have better health care at a lower price, which we're working very hard on. So, yeah, you realize these decisions are all so important. There's, there's almost not a decision that you make when you're sitting in this position that isn't uh, a really life-altering position. Mm -hmm. So God comes into it even more so. Donald Trump throughout the years here on The Pod's Honest Truth. I hope that gave you a sense of how he looks at God, the Bible, and things of faith and God and the spiritual realm. All right, when we come back, a discussion and a talk with well, I guess a discussion and a talk. Am I being redundant? I'm probably being redundant. But you know what? It's not the first time I've been redundant in my life, if you know what I'm saying. Jenna Ellis, uh, senior counsel for the Trump campaign and also with the Falkirk Center uh, down at Liberty University. She'll join us to talk about the Bible moment at church the other day with Donald Trump and more about Judeo-Christian principles and civics in America. We're back in a moment on The Pod's Honest Truth. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. 
Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. And welcome back, everybody, to the Pod's Honest Truth. We're doing a video version uh, this week as well. So once again, if you're on Apple's, iTunes, Stitcher, anywhere you get your podcast, go find the video version somewhere. It's out there at justthenews.com. You'll just have to look for it. Uh, we'll have it up in the next 24 hours. But, you know, I'm sure it won't be too taxing. Well, I don't know. Uh, speaking of taxing, Donald Trump can be taxing, <laughs> especially for liberals. Um, not so much for his supporters. They love everything he does. Uh, one of his supporters is uh, Jenna Ellis. Uh, she is a senior legal advisor to the Trump campaign. She also is uh, an ambassador for the Falkirk Center that promotes Judeo-Christian principles and this idea that they really want to get the young folks involved, the next generation, to make sure they understand uh, the Constitution and the Judeo-Christian fabric of our society that's behind all of it. Uh, Jenna was uh, very forceful in defending Donald Trump's hold the Bible moment in front of the church uh, the other day. She called it uh, one of the most important events uh, and a a historic event, actually. And she's going to explain why in our interview. Here it is. Jenna Ellis, uh, good to see you and hear from you as always. Appreciate you joining me here. Thanks so much for having me, David. Well, let's start with the Bible and church and Trump. And it all came together this past week. He got a lot of criticism in the media for it. And you're like, give me a break. I want you to take me through this very important moment that happened. You've really kind of laid it out pretty eloquently out there on uh, Twitter and Facebook and other, other platforms. Tell me about it. Yeah, thank you. And, you know, it's so important uh, for all of us in America to understand these moments and these culturally uh, defining moments in the context of history, in the context of our government system, and in the context of moral truth, ultimately. And so, uh, you know, when I was looking at uh, the the footage of President Trump walking over from the White House in front of St. John's Church and holding up the Bible, that was such an important defining moment in America because we have to understand what our system of government is actually designed for. And so when we understand that our founding fathers, which by the way, a lot of them were members of clergy um, who were part of the church and all of them had this same fundamental a worldview standpoint and this recognition, this shared value that a truth is discoverable, it's uh, ordained by God, the uh, reality of the human existence, and recognizing that our rights as individuals, as human beings made in the image of God, it's pre-political, pre-government. Um, our rights are given to us by God, our creator, not our government. And so the sole purpose of government is to preserve and protect those rights. So in a well-ordered society that our founders set us up for in this constitutional republic, we give limited specific powers to government to combat tyranny so that we can preserve liberty and freedom, but we also give legitimate powers and authority of law enforcement, for example, to combat uh, anarchy and to combat criminal wrongdoing. And so this whole idea of legitimacy, David, is founded 
in an understanding of the centrality of moral virtue. And when we as a culture are so into this postmodern Marxist nihilistic worldview that uh, we can define truth. We can even say that truth is non-existence. It's my, my truth versus your truth, my version of justice, my feelings, uh, my subjective viewpoint then true genuine justice has lost all meaning. And so when we understand the value and the centrality of why the church as an institution is part of our civil society, it has a completely different uh, specific powers that are given to church govern governance than are given to civil government. That's what Jefferson actually meant by separation of church and state. The, the civil government doesn't compel you to believe in God, doesn't compel you to attend church. That's part of our liberty and freedom. But the civil government and the church government are both founded on this understanding that moral truth is objective and it's part of the universality of the existence of humans as we share our common experience that is ordained by God and for his own sovereign purposes he has created the reality that we are privileged to live in and so when President Trump as the seat of government in America as the leader of the free world paid his respects to the institution of the church as a moral authority and held up the word of God. That to me was such a beautiful defining moment that is saying very clearly, truth is, and our founders uh, from the very beginning, from 1776, now all the way leading up to President Trump in 2020, is acknowledging that moral virtue is central to a civil society. Yeah, that's that's fascinating. I was going to ask you, you kind of answered it there at the end, but what's the bumper sticker headline of when he's holding up the Bible? Because you've really unpacked it. But I, I'm wondering what people take from that. You've, you've explained it here, but what was he trying to do by holding up that Bible in front of the church, the message that he was trying to convey? And I, I think you've laid that out. And I wonder what people will take from it when they when as they see that image. Well, you know, we've certainly seen uh, on Twitter, the progressive left, uh, they have a very different goal, of course. Mm -hmm. Their goal is not to preserve a well-ordered society. Their goal is not moral virtue. Their goal isn't genuine justice. Um, and we've seen even across all of the networks that have been covering a lot of these riots, um, even some of the, the protesters who aren't uh, inciting violence, you know, they're just out there thinking, well, I'm protesting for justice. If you ask them, and reporters have, uh, what's the solution here? What would you like to have, have done? They can't articulate that. They don't know what justice requires. What is the interest of justice? Mm -hmm. And the progressive left, through their worldview and their whole philosophy, they are trying fundamentally to transform America into a postmodern culture that denies objective truth, that denies that there's any morality, and certainly that denies God. This whole idea that God is dead, we've heard you know, the title of that book. Um, and that whole idea is that moral virtue is not objective and that's not part of our shared human experience. And yet, even these people who are, you know, talking on Twitter and they're saying, well, I don't believe in God. So, you know, why should I applaud uh, the president holding up the Bible? Well, even if they don't believe in God, they are still benefiting from our founders who did and from the Judeo-Christian ethic that made freedom and liberty in this country possible. Because only through recognizing moral virtue 
and recognizing that as human beings made in the image of God, God gives us our rights, not the government. Mm -hmm. We have the fundamental unalienable right to freedom of speech, freedom of association, free exercise of religion, which is our triad of first freedoms to speak together about truth and the things of God. And our government doesn't compel us mm -hmm. to that end, but allows us the freedom as God provides to be able to speak together about the central questions of human existence. And the only form of legitimate government will never invade on those freedoms, but will when there is a line crossed into violence and perpetuating the absolute destruction of civil society, then it becomes the obligation and the duty of government to enforce moral laws, which is the definition of criminal law to begin with. We as a society designate certain things as wrong, as impermissible. Violence and these acts of terrorism and arson and desecration and vandalism absolutely can be designated in a morally upright society as wrong. And President Trump is very clearly saying law and order will be part of American society. Yeah. And then you, you talk about burning, you know, just all this destruction, everything going on. And, and I think of, of course, Antifa. Uh, and we, when I say Antifa, we know, we get it. They're not showing up with Antifa uh, shirts, though they're in black block. But beyond that, uh, you know, there's Antifa and the folks behind it. Uh, they, they don't just want to seem to burn down buildings. They want to burn down the fabric of society. It just seems like they want to burn it all down and do what, Jenna, exactly? Start, start from scratch? What, what's their utopia exactly? Yeah, and you know, if you read the Communist Manifesto, it actually gives you the step-by-step -step playbook. And their ultimate uh, utopia and goal is the fundamental transformation of society to end up in a totalitarian and communist uh, socialist re regime. And so they want to break down all of the institutions and the pillars of a morally upright law and order civil society to have absolute chaos. And so this is the, the ultimate goal of reality for them is the complete reliance on a communist government that um, is absolutely not founded on any sort of moral virtue. And so when you look at these riots, when you look at even uh, the Democrat-led cities and uh, governors who have imposed uh, these tyrannical orders, it's remarkable to me that we're seeing in these cities uh, examples of tyranny and anarchy simultaneously. And this is leading to the ultimate end that they want to perpetuate, which is the complete breakdown of a legitimate society. Uh, Jenna, how did we get to this point? Uh, this isn't just one day of protest, two days. This is now going on a week. Uh, we've seen what's had to happen, National Guard being called in, what's going on at the White House, Trump and, the, and going over to the church. What in the world has gone on exactly? I mean, what, why have we gotten to this point? And I, and I know you've talked about, in essence, uh, to a degree, a godless society in terms of the way we're moving. But as it relates to police brutality, uh, and, and it relates to, uh, you know, what happened to George Floyd, um, you know, look, politicians have been along for, around for a long time, and it just seems like nothing is getting done when it comes to, to that issue. And I understand most of law enforcement, good people, I get that, that's the disclaimer. But what in the world is going, this has been going on for too, too long. And I feel like evangelicals, especially uh, evangelical Christians specifically, need to speak up more with one voice, uh, not just black Christians, but white Christians and all of us together, because God sees racism and police brutality in these cases like George Floyd is evil, pure evil. 
Absolutely. And, you know, the question really is, um, you know, as, as Joe Biden articulated, you know, we have to combat uh, systematic racism in America. Well, that presumes that we have systematic racism. And if we're talking about racism, we need to put that in context as well. And if you look again at a morally upright society and you know, you look at how the founders created our society, it's not going to ever be perfect, but they created the opportunity for a more perfect union. And that's what we have uh, continually strived for in America. And we have, through the course of our nation's history, gotten better when we have dealt with these uh, types of ideas and, and these types of problems in ways that have actually been problem solving rather than further divisiveness. So when we talk about racism, we have to go back to what is the truth behind uh, the differences in race. Well, race is not something that actually divides us in terms of our inherent value and dignity and worth. That's the inherent injustice that so many of these righteous protesters, not the violent ones, but the ones who are genuinely outraged, and I share their outrage, at what happened to George Floyd, what happens uh, when there are instances of brutality based on race. That's the same thing as sexism. It's the same thing as ageism, you know, as treating the unborn child as um, not as valuable in dignity and worth as a human being. So we have to go back to what is truth. The truth of all of this is that the Christian worldview is the only explanation that gets us to genuine equality, which is the fact that all humans, regardless of race, gender, age, any of our immutable characteristics, all of us are human beings made in the image of God and as such have inherent dignity, value, and worth. If you look at every other philosophy, then you don't get to equality genuinely. You get to identity politics and you get to the state and you get to, the, to these groups that will say you are only valuable if, and they put a designation, they put a qualifier. Mm -hmm. If you are important to society, if you give back, if you are part of this group, that's what the progressive left is so divisive with. We will never genuinely combat racism or any of these uh, constructs in society unless we get to the root of the worldview, which is to make sure that we are approaching this with truth, with biblical truth, and not with all of these false ideologies. Uh, it's, a, it's a great point. I want to ask you one last question before we go, and it's this balance between rule of law and compassion. Uh, especially when it comes to the Bible. I mean, you know, you can go to Romans 13, 1 and 2, right, about God get, basically giving authority to governments and we're to, to heed or to listen to that authority. And so you have that rule of law. But then we know about the compassion that Jesus uh, came and brought to this earth. And we know about biblical compassion as well. So how do you kind of uh, look at the two as it relates to making sure rule of law is is followed but at the same time to have a compassion in the policies and principles of this nation uh, you know you've got the social justice left who it's all about and i put this in air quotes compassion though i think that can be debated for sure but anyhow compassion uh and then you've got the maybe the hard folks on the right and there are some folks that just say you know boom boom rule of law all the time what's the balance here there has to be a balance 
Yeah, and that's a great question, David, because we have to go back then and look at what is the legitimate role of the civil government mm -hmm. and the fact that rule of law and enforcing our law actually is compassion because it's making mm -hmm. sure to hold people accountable for their action. It's compassion on these small business owners and these other people who have been brutally victimized where they deserve to have the rule of law and justice be fairly and appropriately applied. And so when we take this term, you know, compassion or um, the left likes to use, you know, humanitarianism and, you know, all of these other things that sound great and are great, but have to be appropriately applied in a measured way that doesn't diminish the legitimate authority of the civil government. Because when we're looking at uh, teaching personal responsibility, having holding people personally responsible for their actions, that's actually a measure of compassion. And you know, one of um, my favorite personal examples, I was a clerk uh, for a judge in Colorado um, and he was in county court, which in Colorado just deals with misdemeanors, um, you know, things that aren't uh, nearly as serious as we, you know, we called it felony land, right, when you go over uh, to the more uh, egregious crimes. And he spent 30 years on the county court bench and never, you know, sought to do anything um, that was considered, you know, a higher level of judge. And the reason for that, what he told me was, he said, you know, if we can catch some of these bad actors and we can catch some of these people uh, when they're doing things that aren't nearly as egregious um, as further crimes that could be could be perpetuated, we might have an opportunity to actually help them. And that to me is compassion because he would spend time from the bench talking to people about, you know, so what was kind of your motivation behind this and how how can I help you understand, you know, what your position is in, in your family or in your community? And to show that type of compassion from the civil it, it was not him saying, I'm absolving you from all responsibility, I'm validating your criminal activity. True compassion is holding people responsible and giving them an opportunity to repent and atone for their personal conduct, but then to provide them a better path. That's rehabilitation. That's restoration. That's the message of the gospel, frankly. That's the fact that we all are sinners. We all fall short of the glory of God. But if we can then go and enter into the world as Christians and teach this better path of personal accountability, responsibility, and the fact that we can, through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ, be on a better way of living our lives rightly and to be good citizens of our communities, of our churches, of our families. That's the message of the gospel, and that's the personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And so we have to make sure, David, that we aren't participating in this idea of separation of church and state. It's the idea that the truth the fundamental truth and the definition coming from God, our creator, of our rights, of our civil liberties, and of moral truth and virtue and compassion in society begins and ends with the gospel message. Hey, what? God-centered politics uh, right here from Jenna Ellis. Boy, I tell you what, I learned so much every time I talk to you. I, Jenna, thank you so much. I really appreciate this. Thank you so much, David. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. 
That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. All right, that is Jenna Ellis uh, here on the Pod's Honest Truth. My uh, thanks to Jenna as Always, I'll look some final thoughts here. Uh, why don't we just talk real quick about this biblical idea of law and order? We get it out of Romans 13, 1 and 2, as we discussed in that interview, and also biblical compassion, which is obviously throughout the Bible. You know, the social justice uh, folks out there, uh, the left-wing Christians is what they're also called. Um, they're going to talk about social justice all day. They're going to talk about uh, Jesus and compassion. And guess what? Great. Jesus was all about compassion. However, it was not the gospel. Uh, the gospel was all about Jesus dying for our sins and giving us a path to heaven and salvation and to believe in him. That's the gospel. Compassion, social justice, is not the gospel. Unfortunately, it's been uh, pretty much turned in to a degree. Uh, it has been turned into the gospel uh, by folks on the left. Now, on the right, if you will, it's been a lot of uh, law and order, and it's important to kind of follow the rule of law, and we know that's very important. God wants that uh, as well in the society. The question then becomes the balance, the balance between the two, and I think that's uh, where this country is trying to, in a way, figure itself out. Uh, Donald Trump has gone more to the law and order side, obviously. That doesn't mean he doesn't have compassion in his policies and some of what he, he, he does and says, though people would say he doesn't. But the truth is, it's a lot murkier than that, folks. He's got both. Anyhow, the point is, is that somehow, some way, this is all going to need to be figured out in this next election, Joe Biden versus Donald Trump. And I will say this, uh, if anybody tells you uh, how this thing is going to wind up, we have no clue. Remember before, we thought it was all going to be about the coronavirus pandemic. And don't get me wrong, I think a lot's going to depend on that in this upcoming election. But now we have George Floyd and the National Guard and riots and Antifa and Donald Trump with a Bible in front of a church. Uh, there are so many different layers that folks are going to judge this president on and decide the future of this country as well. So we're going to wait to see how all of that plays out. But I wanted to give you on this podcast today specifically a different take and more importantly, an accurate take on what makes Donald Trump tick when it comes to faith how he sees the world, how he sees God, how he sees the Bible. You may not agree with it. I'm assuming if you're an evangelical Christian, you probably agree with a lot of it. But even if you're not, look, the truth of the matter is that's how he sees things. And that, at least in his view, is the pod's honest truth. Until next time, America, we'll see you.